Morning, church. How's everybody doing today? How do you respond when things don't go as planned? How do you respond when your life doesn't go as planned? How do you respond when things don't turn out as planned? How do you respond when you plan your life and plans change? When you plan your education and then you get married? You plan your future and then you get pregnant and have a child? You plan your retirement and the stock market crashes? How do you respond when you plan your life and life throws you a curveball? It wasn't supposed to be this way. It wasn't supposed to be this hard. It wasn't supposed to be this difficult. This is not what I signed up for. I wasn't supposed to be married. I was supposed to be married. I was supposed to stay married. I wasn't supposed to have kids. I was supposed to have kids. I was supposed to outlive my kids. My kids were not supposed to go down the path they did. I wasn't supposed to live here. I wasn't supposed to have to move. I was supposed to get that promotion. I was supposed to get that raise. I wasn't supposed to get sick. I never imagined having to take care of my parents or my wife's parents. How do you respond when things don't go as planned? How do you respond when your life doesn't go as planned? Sometimes we begin to question. And sometimes those questions go straight to God. Why is... Why is God allowing this to happen? Why is God allowing this to happen to me? Where is God in the midst of all these things not going as planned? We begin a new study today from the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. Ruth is found in the Old Testament. It's the eighth book in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, if you're looking for it. Ruth is a love story. Ruth is one of the greatest love stories in the Bible. Now, you might not be into love stories, and you might not read love stories, and you might not want your wife to take you to the movies for a love story, but whether we admit it or not, I think we all like and appreciate a good love story. Think of some of the most popular films of all time. According to the American Film Institute, these are the three three top love stories of all time. You've got Casablanca... You've got Gone with the Wind. You've got West Side Story. Casablanca in 42, Gone with the Wind in 39, West Side Story in 61. Our interns were born in 01. (laughs) You know what's interesting is many of these movies are set during difficult times, and yet in the midst of difficulty and hardship, love remains. And often during the worst times, During the worst times, God reveals His love to those who trust Him. Let me repeat that. It's often during the most difficult times, times of hardship, that God reveals His love to us, which leads us back to the story of Ruth. Because throughout the book of Ruth, we find difficulty and we find hardship. Throughout the book of Ruth, we keep asking, how do you respond When plans, when my life doesn't go as planned. Here's how the book begins. In the days when the judges ruled. That's how Ruth begins. Now, that might not mean anything to me and you, but if you were one of God's people living back then, if you were one of God's followers, it would mean a lot to you. Because when you heard judges, 
you went back to a very dark period of history. It was a dark time. It was a time of constant rebellion by God's people. It was a time of constant foreign oppression. It was a time of constant immorality and sin. In fact, if you just go back one verse, just go back one verse. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Let me give you some other translations. Everyone did whatever they thought was right. What was right in his own eyes. What seemed right to them. Whatever they pleased. So... Um, You can just imagine living in a time when people just did whatever they wanted to. And you might be thinking, (laughs) we're living in those times where people do whatever they want and there are no consequences, whatever they thought was right. And so it's a dark period in history. Israel was divided. Israel was a defeated nation. It's a time of apostasy and warfare, and decline, and violence, and moral decay, and yet moral decay, and yet in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of all the difficulty, the light shines. In the midst of all the difficulty that we're going to find in these four chapters, God shines. This is a story about a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. This is a love story between two unlikely people. This is a love story between God and And me and you. This is a love story between God and ordinary people like me and you. There's one word that keeps showing up in this book, and that's the word redeemed. That word, or a root form of that word, shows up 23 times in four chapters. Redeemed. Ruth is a story of redemption. I don't know what comes to your mind when I say that word Redeem. Maybe you think of redeeming a coupon at the store or the grocery store. Maybe you think of redeeming a CD at the bank. When Kelly and I first got married and we'd go to the grocery store, they'd flip that deal around and give you green stamps. And you take those green stamps. Does anybody remember the SNH green stamps? You take those green stamps and we'd go home and we'd lick them and we'd put them in books. And there used to be an SNH green stamp store. And we would save those green stamps just to buy little things that we needed when we first got married. But the redemption we see here in the book of Ruth is not about a coupon. It's not about a CD or anything regarding money. It's not about a business transaction. This is redemption of God and His people. This is a love story where God wants to redeem His people. Notice how this book starts. We're going to read. This love story starts with trials... And bad news in the midst of tribulation. And again, I'll keep repeating. It's often during the most difficult times that God reveals His love to us. Here's what we read. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And they they had lived there about ten years. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So she loses her husband. She loses her two sons. She's living in a foreign country. There's famine in the land. 
The story begins with a man, Elimelech, who moves his family. Now, I, I love names in the Bible. So Elimelech, whoop. I'll get there. Elimelech's name means my God is king. Naomi's name means pleasant. So pleasant and his wife, my God is king and his wife pleasant, load up sickly and wasting away. Now, I don't know how you named your children. Names in the Bible mean something, and that's why I want to bring out these names. But if you're here today and you're pregnant, let's don't go for sickly and wasting away. But my God is king, loads up his wife pleasant, and his two boys sickly and wasting away. And they live in, in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Which is very ironic because there is no bread. There's famine in the land. And if you were one of God's people, if you were a Hebrew, if you were a Jew and you heard the word famine, you knew exactly what was happening. You knew exactly why there was famine in the land. When we go back to Deuteronomy 28 and 32, God says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands, all these blessings will come upon you and accompany you. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God, do not carefully follow all His commands and decrees, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. I will send wasting famine against them, consuming pestilence and deadly plague. God's people knew why God was sending famine. Again, the last verse in Judges. Why? Because everybody did whatever they wanted to do. Everybody's living in rebellion. Everybody's living in disobedience. They didn't want to obey God. And God said, if you don't obey me, guess what's coming? And famine came. Again, here's what happens in Ruth 1. There's famine in the land. And he loads up. Elimelech realizes, God is my king, realizes there's famine. And he says, surely the grass is greener on the other side. Surely the grass is greener. So he moves his family away from God's land. He moves his family to the land of Moab. He moves his family to the land of the enemy. He decides to leave his home. He decides to leave his land. And he decides to run away from all of his trials and tribulations. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you're in the midst of that. And he heads straight to Moab. He heads 50 miles away from God's land and 50 miles from God's people. And he moves in with the Moabites. Now, he's thinking the grass has got to be greener. Their economy's better. Their food's better. Their land is better. The Moabites. The Moabites who constantly oppressed God's people. And because they didn't help God's people when God's people left Egypt, Here's what God says about the Moabites. He says, don't seek a treaty of friendship with them as long as you live. Don't associate with them. Don't seek a treaty with them. And so Elimelech, God is my king, loads up his family and moves to Moab where God has said, don't do that. Listen, folks, the the grass always looks greener on the other side. But that doesn't mean you should go to the other side. That doesn't mean you should up and move. The grass probably always looks greener when it comes to a relationship, 
when it comes to a job, when it comes to finances, that doesn't mean you jump the fence and go. Satan knows he can always convince us that the grass is always greener, and it's one of his best weapons. Listen, folks, every time in the Bible, every time God's people leave because there's famine in the land, something bad's about to happen to them. But Elimelech goes. In fact, he, he chooses to go. And you might even be on his side thinking, well, why wouldn't he go? He's got to feed his family. Why wouldn't he go? There is food over in Moab. Why wouldn't he go? I mean, what other choice did he have? Well, he could have stayed. He could have repented. Again, why do you think there was famine in the land? Because the people were living in rebellion. All they had to do was repent, which we will see in this book. All they had to do was repent, and God would provide. He could have stayed, but he decides that he's going to go. Now listen, I, I, I know this might be hard to hear. But maybe, just maybe, not always, but maybe, the reason bad things are happening in your life Maybe, just maybe, it's because you're living in rebellion to God. You're living in disobedience. Oh, we don't want to hear that. But maybe you're living in disobedience. We try to justify our sinful actions. I'm sure this is what God wants me to do. I'm sure God wants me to be happy. The grass is greener and we justify our selfish desires with bad theology. Listen, you know what God wants? It's real simple. God wants obedience. That's what God wants. Elimelech could have stayed in God's land. He could have repented. He could have asked the Lord to provide. But instead, he packed up and he moved away from God. He packed up and went away from God's land. He packed up and he took his family with him. And he's living in rebellion because he thinks the grass is greener on the other side. Bad Choices almost always bring bad consequences. And they didn't temporarily move. Scripture says they stayed there ten years. Ten years. They moved from God's land. They moved from God's people. They moved from God's worship. They're living with the enemy. So when they go to worship a God, what do you think the enemies are going to say? There's so many lessons in this book that we're going to try to bring out. Again, it's just four chapters. When you drift from God's family, when you drift from God's church, when you drift from God's worship, how can you possibly think anything good's going to happen? But we see it all the time. We often do that. We often live that. Elimelech moves his family because of a physical famine, but they're about to experience a spiritual famine. Here's what we read. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons, and they married Moabite women, which God specifically, very clearly said, don't do that. So they continue to live in rebellion. Is it any wonder what we are going to see that they're not living under God's blessing? When you live in rebellion to God, why would you think God would bless you? What's interesting is when we live in rebellion to God, God always pursues us, as we'll see in this book. 
Do you notice what's mentioned a lot in these first five verses? Death. Death. Elimelech took his family in search of a better life. And all he found and all his boys found was death. So the next time you ask, why is this happening to me? Maybe a better question for us to ask is, am I living in rebellion to God? Not why is this happening, am I living in rebellion? I want you to put yourself in Naomi's shoes for just a, a few moments. She's the victim of someone else's bad choices. Naomi was just being a good wife. Her husband said, we're moving. And because of his decision, she lives a hard life. And you've seen that. You may have experienced that. Many women today live a hard life because of their husband's bad choices. Naomi was just following her husband. It probably wasn't her choice to go to Moab. It probably wasn't her choice to move the family. But her husband said, move. So she moved. And now her husband's dead. And her two boys are dead. And here's what we read about her choice. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of His people by providing food for them, because they had repented of their rebellion, and they should have stayed there in the first place, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Now, her husband made the first choice. She makes the second choice. Her husband said, let's move to Moab. She says, I'm leaving Moab. She doesn't have to stay. She decides to return home. She wants to return home because God's providing now listen, her decision was right to go back home. Her decision was wrong if it was just for food. Her decision was right if she's interested in fellowship with God. Her decision is wrong if she's returning to the land, but not to the Lord. We keep reading. Naomi and Ruth went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? I mean, it's been 10 years. Can this be Naomi? Naomi told them, Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Interesting. Listen, as we go through the story of Ruth, as we go through this love story, I want you to consider maybe this is your story. Maybe you can relate to Naomi. Maybe you understand Naomi. Maybe you're wondering, where is God? Why is God punishing me? Wondering why the Lord's not blessing you? Wondering why the Lord's forgotten about you? This is not what I had planned for my life. Naomi thinks God's deserted her, so she's just going to change her name. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. She's bitter because she thinks God has dealt her a bad hand. It was their choice. Again, bad consequences don't just happen. They were living in rebellion. She, she was bitter because she thought God had afflicted her. Now, let me ask some questions. Why is it when good things happen, we often don't bless God. 
Why is it when bad things happen, we almost always blame God? She blamed, Naomi blamed God for all of her misfortune, and we often do the same. Listen, folks, in a world right now, not back then, in a world right now that wants to blame everything on everyone else, in a world right now that doesn't want to accept responsibility for their actions, maybe it's time we realize that the things in our life and the things in our world are happening because we're living in rebellion to God. So, I want to say life is not fair. It's not what I planned. Bad things happen to good people, but that doesn't mean we blame God. Maybe you're like Naomi. Maybe you're living in a dark season right now. Maybe you're living in a season of tribulation. Maybe like Naomi, you're even living in a season of bitterness right now. Maybe you're thinking, this is not what I had planned. This is not the life I had planned. And where's God? If, if that's you right now, then I'm glad you're here. Stay with us for five more weeks because the story of Ruth is for you. Because the story of Ruth might be your story. Here's what I want you to know. The book of Ruth reminds us the story always gets better. Life gets better. And life gets better when God is in the picture. When God is in the story. When God is your story. Because in spite of all the bad decisions, like we said, God was still pursuing Naomi. In spite of the bad decisions, God is still pursuing you. I want you to hear that. If you're thinking, has God forgotten about me? He's running after you. In spite of our choices, in spite of our disobedience, in spite of our rebellion, God still is coming after us. Your life is never so dark that God can't find a way in. How do I know that? Because we get to read the rest of the story. We just have to flip a few pages. We get to read how the story ends. Here's what we find at the end of Ruth. Then Naomi took the child because Ruth has a child. We're going to find that. She laid him in her lap and cared for him. And the women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. Who was the father of David. David, beloved one, and if you were a, a Jew, if you were one of God's people, and you say David, wow, one of the greatest military leaders, one of the greatest kings, David had a heart like God. So no matter how bad things get in your life, look at how things end. The lineage in the book of Ruth, the lineage of Jesus, God is weaving the lineage of Jesus through bad choices. Wow, what a... What a love story between God and you and me. Listen, we don't always know the rest of the story. We don't always see the rest of the story. But you can know this. God has a plan. And when God is in your story, God will get the glory. And God often chooses to work in ordinary ways. There's people that want to... Well, if God would just... You know, if we could see some plagues, or if God would just move a mountain, or if God would just do some horns and trumpets. But God, sometimes, oftentimes, in the book of Ruth, He just works in ordinary ways. But here's what I want you to know. We know that in all things, in all things, in good decisions, in bad decisions, in good choices, in bad choices, we know that in all things, God works. 
God works. You might not see Him working. You might not think He's working. You might think He's left you. You might think He's gone somewhere else. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Sometimes God moves in powerful and amazing ways. He doesn't do that in the book of Ruth. He works in a very behind-the-scenes, ordinary way, just like in your life and my life. God works in so many ways in the book of Ruth. He's watching over Naomi. Um, He sends Ruth her way. He provides the harvest. He provides a kinsman redeemer. He provides food. He provides a husband. He provides a grandson. He's redeeming Naomi and redeeming Ruth and redeeming the lineage just like He redeems us on a day-to-day basis. Is God at work in the book of Ruth? Absolutely. Is He at work in in the life of Naomi? Absolutely. Is He at work in your life? Absolutely. Because God is pursuing us to redeem us. But sometimes we don't know how God works. Because God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. That was originally written as a poem entitled, Light Shining Out of Darkness. Remember what we said when we started today? In the midst of the darkness, the light shines. In the midst of the darkness. What a fitting song. What a fitting poem to describe the book of Ruth. And again, it's often during the most difficult times that God reveals His love to us. Instead of thinking, why is this happening to me? Just know God is pursuing you. Listen, folks, there's nothing in your life that God can't fix. There's nothing in your life that God can't fix. There's nothing in your life that God can't change. It's never so dark that God can't find you. It's never so dark that God can't work out His purpose. But you have to walk faithfully and not in rebellion. Let me close with this illustration. It was 1990. It was May 21. It was downtown Cleveland, Ohio. Her name was Georgine Johnson at the time. She was 42 years old. Feeling the effects of impending middle age, she began to jog and she decided, I think I'm going to try a competition. The event she chose was a 10K run, 6.25 miles. So she gets there, she sees this big crowd at the starting line and she's a little surprised that they're gathering so early and the gun goes off, so she starts running. She reached the four-mile mark and she's wondering, why has the course not turned back why is it not doubled back because the finish line ought to be getting close i'm four miles into a a 6.25 mile run she slowed her pace to ask an official and it was then that she discovered she was running the wrong race she thought she was running a 10k 6.25 and she's in a group running the cleveland marathon at 26.2 miles Her event was scheduled to start 30 minutes after that event, but she got too close to the crowd. She heard the guns, so she just took off. She tried to make her plight known to officials and bystanders, and no one seemed to understand, so Georgine Johnson kept running, and she finished the race. And she said, this isn't the race I trained for. This isn't the race I entered, but for better or worse, this is the race I'm in. 
just like Naomi. This isn't what I planned for. Just like Ruth. This isn't what I planned for. Just like me and you, oftentimes. This isn't the life that I planned for. Many of us are thinking, this isn't the race I entered. This isn't the race I trained for. But listen, as long as we keep moving in the right direction, as long as we keep moving in the direction of God, not like what we find in Ruth where they're running away from God, as long as we're moving in the right direction, it's going to be okay. You might not see God in your life right now, but I want you to know, and I believe, and I believe the Bible teaches, you might not see God working in your life right now, but God's working. It might be behind the scenes, but God's working. You might not understand what's going on, but God is working. So when things don't go as planned, when life doesn't go as planned, remember the story of Ruth, because God is always at work weaving His plan Redeeming His people. Redeeming me and you. I don't know if you've ever made a decision, a commitment to be a part of God's plan. You may be thinking, well, I don't understand God's plan. We don't have to understand God's plan. We just have to be a part of God's plan. I don't know if you've ever made a decision to follow God. If not, you can do that. It doesn't have to be today. It doesn't have to be this week. But I want you to be thinking about being baptized into Jesus Christ. Because when you're baptized into Jesus, what you're saying is, I want to be a part of your plan. And if Jesus is a part of your plan, I want to be a part of that plan. So think about making that decision. Your mom and dad can do that. Your grandparents can do that. One of the ministers on staff can do that. Someone sitting on the row with you can do that. Again, it doesn't have to be today. Sundays are kind of nerve-wracking. You can say, can I come on Tuesday night? Absolutely. But I want you to be thinking about being part of God's story because He's pursuing you and wants to redeem you. Let's stand and sing.